You're watching Deprogrammed. This is the New Culture Forum's latest show, committed to fighting back against the forces of ideological conformity, particularly among the young. My name's Harrison Pitt, I'm a senior editor at the European Conservative, and I'm thrilled to be joined today, as ever, by Evan Riggs, who is a freelance journalist, and our very special guest this week, John O'Sullivan, former speechwriter to Margaret Thatcher, and the current president of the Danube Institute. Now, John, uh, the, cons the Conservative Party recently got thumped in, in, in two by-elections, its senior representatives are, are widely despised by much of their own base. Yeah. Uh, they deserve to get thrashed at the next election, don't they? Well, they certainly deserve to get thrashed for what's <laughs> happened so far, which doesn't mean I want them to get thrashed, because uh, we would be going, um, if we elected a Labour government, from King Log to King Stork, from, from a party that, through timidity, has failed to follow the right policies, and through a kind of crusading timidity, has actually... Um, uh, gone, gone for very left policies like the complete control of the, of the, of the economy by the government under net zero uh, with the aim, oddly enough, paradoxically <coughs> enough, of impoverishing people um, in, in the hope of averting uh, a disaster which is highly theoretical, may not be true, and anyway is not destined to arrive for, for perhaps centuries. So no conservative um, who believes in prudence would adopt such a ridiculous policy. Um, on the other hand, if Labour gets in, it will, as uh, uh, one of the biblical kings said, my father whipped you uh, with whips and I will whip you with whips and scorpions. So it will be much worse. And uh, therefore, I, I wouldn't want a, a Labour victory. Um, I would like to see uh, a tailored conservative, not defeat, but reverse, in which the worst people who have promoted <laughs> these policies were um, uh, dispatched by the, uh, by the electors uh, to the outer darkness. And the ones who survived were those who pursued skeptical, prudent, intelligent, conservative policies, among which I would include Brexit. Hmm. Yeah. Do you think it might not take scorpions actually mm. to galvanize people under a like recognizing that a kind of reformation of the Tory party is what's necessary. I mean, if you look at what's happened, this tragedy in Israel, it took this sort of uh, slaughter yeah. to basically wake people up. And I've even seen articles saying, like, I went to sleep on October 7th, a uh, progressive, and I woke up a conservative. Well, you, yeah. You don't think it might take something like actually kind of um, blatantly yeah. horrible? Yeah. Well, we want to come back to that because I think that event, those events in in um, uh, Israel and the Gaza Strip uh, are a wake-up call for our entire civilization. Um, but as regards whether or not um, we should adopt, uh, we should vote, so to speak, for a Labour government uh, in order to wake us all up and, and, and get us to adopt a new conservatism and a, a party which is, uh, and vote them in the next time. Well, let me say, that in fact that is what more or less happened in the 70s. Mm. Ted Heath came in, he had a more or less good policy moving towards uh, more economic liberalization. I know that, Harrison, you're skeptical of those kind of policies, but I don't believe you would have been skeptical in the 1970s because that was when the problems of Britain were not cultural. There were some, but they were not like today. The problems were um, seriously economic, uh, prosperity, uh, the loss of it, uh, and the movement towards the, the loss of constitutional authority for the government. That, all that mm. had to be fought and won. 
by Margaret Thatcher, and it was. Now, when Ted Heath came in and faltered, he lost the next election. And then we had a Labour government which created the groundswell of support for very quite tough policies like reducing inflation on the one hand, installing uh, new rule, legal rules, new laws for trade unions, which would help mm. ordinary members to get their power over the union back rather than having to follow shop stewards who, you know, if they, if they uh, woke up in the morning feeling sour, they'd lead a walkout. So um, it's, in a way, you could cite the 70s as an argument for yes. let's go through the slough of despond and we'll emerge stronger and fitter. Okay, I think I can see that in retrospect. However, supposing it had gone terribly wrong, we mm. wouldn't think that. And I don't think a conservative who by all, uh, defined um, one of the definitions of a conservative is a prudent and responsible person. And I don't think uh, a conservative can really say, okay, this has been disastrous. Um, we have to really uh, see the destruction of the Conservative Party to allow a new phoenix to arise on the right. I hope that would happen if we, did lo if we do lose, but I don't think we can, so to speak, make such mm. Uh, a policy, our objective. But it's not just the net zero stuff, though. That's a very that, that's very important economically and all the rest of it. But we, we you know, we've also got um, unprecedented rates yeah. of both illegal immigration and yeah. legal immigration being presided yeah. over by the Conservative Party. We've also got the fact that they've expanded. They expa yeah. Not only not only have they not repealed the 2020 Equality Act, they expanded it to make sure that there was a duty on all public institutions yeah. to, every year to publish measurable equity objectives. Yeah. Um, and we've seen the DEI bureaucracy yeah. balloon by, 20, well, I think by 71% since 2015 and 2021. It's not just that the Conservatives have been insufficiently conservative. They've been, they've been crusadingly anti-conservative in, in a whole host of respects. And, and if, we, if we don't punish that, then we can hardly be, um, we, we can hardly, I think we forfeit our rights to be disappointed as Conservatives. Well, I think the phrase I used uh, was crusading timidity. Yes. Uh, and of course, I think that's a bad thing. Uh, but crusading, crusading is worse. And, and so I, 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 I still stick by my position. However, of course, I want the Tory party to change. I think in some respects it is changing, but it won't change if the um, if the party maintains the kind of control of candidate selection that in, enables an existing uh, current leader and the people around him to choose the kind of people who will be candidates. Now, the rank and file associations are local. They are staffed by local people. They know what the voters think. The voters think different things in different parts of the country. So you will get a good social and regional mix of opinion if the people in the um, constituency association mm. choose the candidates. Now, you don't want them to choose outright lunatics. Uh, and occasionally, every now and then, some kind of secretive fascist has been able to sneak under the wire. Um, but then they, they don't last five minutes once they've been detected. And so I don't see that, that, that the, the fear of that is a basis, a justification for centralizing the whole of the candidate selection, really. And I don't like these idea of how do people behave in kind of country house weekends, which may not be the system now, but it just produces a kind of identikit. Uh, used to be an identikit middle class Oxford city guards uh, and MP. Now, of course, it's um, somebody who's done very well in information technology. Yes. Uh, I don't believe in having identical candidates of any kind. And I like one of the nice things 
in the past about institutions like the university seats was they produced not raving lunatics as they would now, they produced kind of clever, interesting, amusing, eccentric MPs. Mm. So I'm, I, I basically want um, uh, us to um, uh, return candidate selection that would produce a different parliamentary conservative party, I think a better one. By the way, it would all pro also produce a better Labour Party because the Labour Party is very interesting insofar as you know, our candidate, our MPs are to the left of our voters and our association members. But so are theirs. Mm. You would expect their MPs to be may, maybe more centrist, but they're not. And uh, so I, I say make things more central uh, uh, in, uh, sorry, less central and give the, the local people more power. But that's only one thing. Mm. Do you think that there might be a sense that the Conservative Party has fallen to uh, O'Sullivan's famous first law, and that failing to be explicitly conservative from the start, they've actually been kind of parasitized, not necessarily at the top rungs, but certainly in the kind of middle of it, in the bureaucracy of the Tories, by, uh, by the left, essentially. I would say at the top rungs, I certainly would. Yeah. For, my, for my own part, at least. I mean, Rishi, I mean you have a prime minister like Rishi Sunak holding up a 50p coin saying, diversity built Britain. I mean, that, that's just left-wing propaganda. It is and it isn't. I, I always wonder when these things, it's like how much of that is kind of Rishi's true belief and how much of it is like him having to play internal politics? I don't think he has to play it though because if he's trying to win over voters then it's not necessary for him to indulge in that sort of thing because voters don't care for that sort of you know, like, you know, racial tribalism, that sort of propaganda. They don't care well, for who it. Who believes it anyway because the fact is I, I have no problem about saying that some immigration has produced and some immigrants have produced wonderful things for this country. But they didn't build Britain. Um, I mean, look at one immigration, um, the uh, 56 um, uh, Hungarians who came here. Um, 150 years later, they uh, list a very distinguished uh, British um, uh, people in British mm. public life, sent a letter thanking the British people for welcoming them in, in the Times. Mm. And it was an astounding list. These people had contributed enormously to making this country a better, a richer, a healthier and a more civilized country, and that's a wonderful thing. However, it's a wonderful thing if you uh, accepted a small number of people on an individual basis over a period of time. If you swamp the community, by which I mean you have mass immigration of several hundred thousand a year as now, that produces tensions, it produces the feeling that the country's um, becoming a different kind of country, uh, which we never voted for. All those things that ordinary people say, mm -hmm. they represent a certain psychological truth, and we have to listen to them. We don't want to produce a, a, a country of dissatisfied, antagonistic, mm. um, quarrelsome people. Yes. And uh, yes, a certain amount of tension, a certain amount of debate, that's very good. And that means a certain amount of immigration is, is fine. But we don't want it to be, as I say, the, a, a kind of an attempt, as it was with Blair, to, in a sense, vote out the Tories and vote out conservative-minded people by simply swamping them with people who, in his view, weren't conservative-minded. Sometimes, of course, mm. as with immigrants from, let us say, the West Indies, you get very devout Christians who are strengthening, or, or the Poles who came in, who strengthen the churches here. 
Um, I don't think, however, that's something you can plan for or should or should plan for. And also, there's a, I think there's also a, a, a very important distinction to be made between between being generally conservative in your social attitudes yeah. and being conservative. Like, what are you conservative yeah. about? I mean, because there is no doubt that lots of Muslim communities are up around yeah. this yeah. country are very conservative. But are they conservative about Britain? Yeah. Are they conservative about British institutions, or are they conservative about what they regard as their own ancestral tribal loyalties? And, it, and to the extent that you, you can get competing conservatisms in, in, in that sort of way, you can get a, a host conservatism and a sort of set of colonialist it's kind of conservatism. It's also not true that just because somebody is conservative that they will vote for a conservative party. Indeed. Because I mean, no. it, I don't know if you've seen what's happening in, in America with the Venezuelans, but basically there's, the Venezuelans are like f fleeing yeah. communism and socialism um, in Venezuela and they're coming to America and they're ready to vote Republican, mm. just like the Cubans do in Miami. And so America's also having a very big problem with immigration right now. The Biden administration is specifically targeting Venezuelans to try to send them back because they're like, this is basically yes. the one voting block <laughs> in the hundreds of thousands of people Indeed. coming over Indeed. that we're sure will not vote for us. Yes. Yeah, they're ready to go capitalism all the way. It's, it's, it's very true what you say. There are certain an anomalies to this general trend that minorities um, cut in the direction of the left. And I think in the, in the United States, actually, maybe the, the Venezuelans are a third uh, community now. I, I don't know how, how big they are, but the, the only minority communities which reliably vote Republican at scale are um, uh, Vietnamese Americans and Cuban Americans. Yeah. And so the, the Venezuelans might be a third category there, but, but generally Latinos and other immigrants cut wildly in favor of the left. And I think that does have, I think that does come back to not, not a question about cultural attachment, like what do you feel attached to? Um, if, I don't know, put it this way. If I were to go to Japan as an immigrant on my own, just as a lone individual immigrating to Japan, within three generations there could be people bearing the surname Pitt in Japan who would feel incredibly Japanese because I could marry a Japanese girl. I, I, I would, if I married a Japanese girl and then we had lots children and grandchildren all the rest of it and they, they, they would it might be a source of curiosity to my grandchildren that I went over to Japan as a, as a Brit and immigrated there in 2023 but it wouldn't define that the, the way that they think about politics they wouldn't see everything in Japan through the lens of their non-negotiable British identity whereas if I went to Japan with a million fellow Brits we may become incredibly ghettoized and there may be this sort of pressure group as Henry Kissinger recently put it a sort of British pressure group existing in Japan very cons very conservative about its own cultural attachments but those would great with the host, with the attachments of the of the of the host society in Japan, and that would become a, a source of tension, despite the shared conservative outlook. In some sense, well, I think the, the two questions here, important factors, are um, numbers and time. Yes. Um, if you go to Japan, and maybe some other Brits are told what a fine place it is, and they follow you there, provided those numbers are relatively small, less than one percent, one percent, something mm -hmm. like that. There's no way that group of people will think we want to change. There are lots wrong with this society that doesn't fit in with how we think. Mm. Because if you think that, you're going to get absolutely nowhere, and, and any intelligent person would be able to see that. Yes. And secondly, you'd antagonize your neighbors for no good purpose. And thirdly, most of the people who go to another country uh, do not go there with malign intent. Uh, they don't go dissatisfied. They go because they think it will improve their lives. And insofar as they're welcomed, and they generally are uh, individually welcomed, um, they, they will respond with gratitude. And over time, that gratitude will morph more strongly into a sense of identification with that country, its customs and practices. Mm. Now, as you say, if you have a crusading group of people who come to the country, and there's no doubt that some Muslim uh, uh, people are crusading, and they don't want to give up 
some of the prejudices they grew up with in the Middle East, not because they're naturally wicked people no, or anything no, like that, all. simply because that's, that those ideas shaped them. It's human, of, it's human nature to want to identify that's right. with right. Yeah. And, and so we essentially, uh, one of the things we have to do in dealing with immigrants is to, uh, dealing with our people who are now our fellow citizens. We have to find ways of making our country attractive to them, and they have to find ways of making themselves more attractive to our country. It's a two-way process, uh, although I think the burden of the obligation is mainly on the person who arrives Indeed. in the country. So, I, uh, so numbers and time generally should do the trick. But of course, if you have a kind of people who are you know, economists in the f sense that Marx used the term, namely obs obsessed with economics to the question of everything else, mm. then I think um, uh, you, you may have a government which says, oh yes, well there are interesting questions of course, but what we need is cheap low paid workers, <laughs> more of them, as many as possible really, and, um, and after all um, then w it doesn't matter to us if our own people uh, don't turn up for work or are all sick or uh, are, de are demoralized and become part of a dependency culture um, mm. because someone else will be doing the job. That's not a recipe for harmony of any kind mm. on either side and we have to get away from that tendency which is actually apparently the ruling tendency in the Treasury to an extraordinary extent it seems from the outside. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It seems to me that um Immigration would be a good example, but there, there are others that, you know, these kind of uh, events or movements, yeah. they happen linearly. There's like a yeah. slow and then maybe, or you could even say exponentially in the case of immigration in this country, kind of yeah. a slow trickle in and then it kind yeah. of ramps up. Yeah. But the, the de-escalation tends to be very kind of static. Things yeah. are cut off and it doesn't, you know, they don't decrease immigration. We don't go from 500,000 to 400,000 to 300,000. You go from 500,000 to like 50. Like oh. they make a, a very steep... Mm -hmm. Um, movement backwards and I think we're seeing this now in many European countries actually or the prelude to it like we've just seen in Germany um, where, where the PM of Germany I forget what it actually is um, has decided that basically they need to get much tougher on immigration to kind of uh, beat back the AFD I think we're seeing it in Switzerland uh, a couple other countries I wonder if when we talk about this aspect of, of integration over time the inevitable kind of anxiety that people are going to have on the right, but just kind of in general in the society is not necessarily that there isn't time to, to, to kind of wind it down, but that the, the, the response to this will have to be so severe and so sharp that it will kind of reverberate out through society. I mean, going back to the Israel thing again, it took this like massive moment for there to be a declaration of like anybody supporting uh, Islamic Jihad in the streets of London will be deported. We'll mm -hmm. see if that actually turns out yeah. to be true, but that is not a gradual stepping down. That is a declarative moment. Yes, and obviously um, in, in such moments, because they tend to occur at, at a moment of panic, um, you, you're quite liable to make mistakes. And I think we should be very clear and we should think a lot about what steps you should take to restore the relative harmony uh, in this country to what it has been some years ago. Um, I, I think anybody who read uh, Fraser Nelson's piece in The Telegraph about the success of multicultural Britain, um, and I wouldn't phrase it in that way, I think the success of Britain which through tolerance 
and assimilation um, on an everyday level. That has, is what has made um, the, that is what has produced the good aspects of, of, um, of um, uh, community relations in Britain, uh, not policies that are deliberately attempting to persuade people to retain their own uh, previous ethnic identities and cultural practices. I think that's a mistake to do that. Uh, they didn't come to this country. A lot of them made sacrifices to come to this country. They didn't come here in order to remain exactly what they were in the western coast of Africa or in Asia or wherever. So I think that's the first thing. Um, we, we should, in a sense, celebrate this country in, among ourselves, but also when talking to the, the people who are now in this country and are our fellow citizens in the main. Now, what about people who apparently hold completely outrageous views from the standpoint? Um, you, now, for example, you don't have Indians who say they want to actually establish sooty. Mm -hmm. You don't have Hindus saying that, and, and it would get no, nowhere if they tried. So what about people who express what appear to be principled anti-Semitic views? When I say principled, I'm not praising it. I mean, it's just that... Non-negotiable. They're non-negotiable. Non then I think we are entitled to phrase the oath of allegiance and the regulations for visa into this country with the statement that um, 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 you, you know, if you hold uh, anti-Semitic views, if you are, if you believe that the um, constitutional democracy, that is the uh, constitutional um, monarchy that is the situation in this country politically is, un is contrary to your views of establishing a completely different legal system, mm. then really you can't become a citizen or you can't come into the country, except on a short-term tourist visa or whatever. Yes. Now, they, uh, th this used to be the case in the United States. Are you, are ever you have, be, have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? Essentially, they still, I think, used to say when I was going there, um, can you, um, are you in favor of overthrowing uh, the government of the United States, which um, I think Chesterton wrote, uh, oh, sole purpose mm. of visit. <laughs> um, but, but the point is that that uh, has enabled the American government to go back and finding it has admitted uh, former Nazis mm -hmm. to say, you were lying here and we're revoking your visa when and citizenship. I got my, I was, I'm a naturalized yeah. American. Yeah. Um, when I got my passport, they give you a very long questionnaire and mm. all these questions are on it. Were yeah. you a member of the Nationalist Socialist Party in yeah. 1945? Yeah. Were you ever a member of the Khmer Rouge? And I'm like, yeah. I'm 18. <laughs> yeah, no, sure, that's right. But the point is, it meant that had you, and somebody um, lied about that, then you, that means that their um, citizenship or uh, um, residence visa can be withdrawn and I think we should be prepared to do that. Yes. And I would say the second thing is, in other words, this is not based on race, it's not based on religion as such, it's based on particular statements. Uh, like for example, I'm in favor of killing apostates. Well, as far as I'm concerned, uh, that's an unacceptable mm. uh, point of view and should be in, in this country. It would be unacceptable um, if you were to hold it, uh, although you have apparently no background in religion. Which, that, so I think in those circumstances, you, you must, official Britain must do its best to make clear that these views are unacceptable and they will not and, and they will be an obstacle to all, in very many ways, 
to living a life in this country. And I, I would, uh, and the moment you have done that, and the moment it's seen to be enforced yes. firmly and enforced fairly, both of those, then I think the, the, the temperature begins to decline and mm. people become to feel less threatened. And people who, are, who may be subject to those painfully, they, they, their, their families and so on, do not feel that there's a, 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 a real ethnic unfairness being imposed. What about this though? Because the, the, the okay, so I've got quite a few thoughts about that. It's interesting. So obviously, anti-Semitism is correctly in the news at the moment because of what happened on the seventh of October in Israel and the reverberating effects around yeah. Europe. Yeah. You know, uh, sort of the weird kind of soft Kristallnacht yeah. we've seen in, in, in like the sort of ethno-religious triumphalism in Birmingham and Manchester and yeah. all, all, all the rest of it, when you would expect there just to be candlelit vigils. Just or, down the road just, from here. Exactly, yeah. just down yeah. the road from here. Yeah. You'd expect there to be candlelit vigils at a time like this. So yes, yeah, certainly we would want immigrants coming into this country to to, 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 to forswear yeah. any kind of right to stir up anti-Semitism yeah. in this yeah. country. But what about, I mean, anti-British sentiment as well? I mean, that, 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 I mean, for example, and I'm not saying that these people would necessarily qualify for, for deportation on, 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 yeah, on, on yeah. these rules, but in, it's interesting you mentioned Fraser Nelson. He, when he, whenever Fraser Nelson talks about the success of multicultural Britain, he always rather curiously points to Sadiq Khan and Humza Yusuf as examples of multiculturalism being successful. Humza Yusuf made a speech on the floor of the Scottish Assembly in which he was, with, with seething contempt, um, we're speaking with the most seething contempt about the majority white population yeah. of Scotland. Elon Musk actually called Hamza Yusuf a racist yeah, last night I on think, Twitter. Well, quite right, quite, quite right too. If you, if you, I'm sure you've seen the speech in which he, in which Hamza Yusuf is lamenting the way in which Scotland is sort of irrede irrede irredeemably white, white, white. Yeah, white. Yeah, this yeah. person's white, that person's yeah. white. Scotland is an overwhelmingly white country. If I went to Lebanon and made statements about it being yeah. rel relentlessly brown all over the place, yeah. I, I'd expect yeah. them to throw me out yeah. of the place. And so. Um, what, what I'm saying, and so you've got that, and then you've got Sadiq Khan, who's authorizing poems on the, on the underground in London, saying things like, your home was built on our blood, on our sacrifice, we're colonizing you in reverse. There, 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 yeah, there are these sure. sort of... The irritation. Sort of, yeah, fervently yeah, ethnocentric. maybe to some people, yeah. I think they're just simply fatuous, and, and yeah. no, no sensible person should pay, pay any attention to those academics who spout this kind of drivel. But... Um, there is a serious point here, and uh, I would say in relation to Fraser's article, when he uh, cites them uh, as an example of the success of multiculturalism, I would say two things. One, it's the success of, um, of English tolerance and um, a, ca a capacity to absorb and, and bring into the family people who proclaim they're outside it. I mean, that's what's happened. People are, there's a, they, you may not like, and I don't, uh, either of the two people you mentioned, but they have, they're elected uh, in a country and they're treated with respect by the citizens of that country. Of course, obviously Sadiq Khan is not exactly treated with respect by Londoners because he's done very badly as mm. the mayor. But, 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 what, but so I must say this though, I, yeah, I agree it's yeah. irritating and, fa and factious, yeah. certainly I would agree with that, but it, mm. it seems to me that it would, be, it would be taken much more seriously if someone were to go into Israel and say that the place yeah. was too yeah. Jewish. Like, like, like if, sure. if, 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 uh, if, if, if yeah. Sadiq Khan was saying, oh God, Jews everywhere, Jews everywhere in, in Israel, like the Israelis would pay a lot more attention to that than, I, than the, the British Conservative Party seems intent on doing. And so it's, it's not just that, uh, it's true that the, it's a reflection of the tolerance of the British people that they would put up with, a, that, that, that they would have a First Minister of Scotland who, from a, from a Pakistani community or a, or a Mayor of London from a, from a Pakistani yeah. background. But these people are, are 
also playing racial identity politics well, against the host population. I think that's very bad, and, but that's inevitable in a, in a, in a multi-ethnic society, um, uh, and f at least for a, a long while, until the ethnic, ethnic differences become much less civic, significant in people's lives. But there was another important point I wanted to make. Uh, the, um, obviously, um, you, uh, born and brought up in England, yes. you have a perfect right to spout uh, nonsensical drivel, you to denounce the country's institutions, and so on and so forth. Yes. And, um, and we couldn't have a distinction, it seems to me, in law that made sense. If you could say that, but this chap, who is apparently naturalized, yeah. couldn't. So, so if we want free speech and tolerance, uh, for free speech for ourselves, then obviously it's got to be the whole community. But that's not the end of it. Look, Orwell makes this point. He says that if you read, you often read uh, a letter to the Times yes. from a Marxist professor of law who denounces some proposed legal change as a, 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 a blatant disregard of the finest traditions of English law. <laughs> now, the thing is, he's not supposed to believe that he English law has got fine traditions. Yeah. He's supposed to be solidly opposed to it. But he's also English. He's grown up in this country. He believes a lot of things that he's not conscious about until you press a particular nerve. Um, an awful lot of left-wingers who spend their time in a country uh, supporting left-wing movements and so on, the moment that it looks as though the Communist Party will be elected, they head for the border or for the airport because they know, hmm. really, what they have never admitted to themselves and other people, that these are monsters. Now, in the case of the Marxist professor, he knows this is a fundamentally decent country, that the ideal of fairness is the principal ideal uh, which animates so many institutions. It gets it goes astray when it's politicized, uh, uh, as it has been uh, very badly in recent years. But nonetheless, the sentiment is a correct one. Now, if you have somebody in this country who holds the ridiculous ideas that that Cambridge lady academic seems um, to hold, Primavera Gopal. Yeah. Mm. Um, then uh, my own view is that over time, um, what will happen to her is she will become more and more, she'd just be as irritating as ever, of course, because that's what she wants to be. I mean, this is a performance as well as a set of ideas. But nonetheless, um, people will be polite to her in the shops. She'll have, make friends. She may join, uh, um, uh, 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 she may get married and have children and uh, uh, be concerned about their education. The th great thing about uh, uh, participating in the everyday life of a society is that it softens all the antagonisms you might have in theory and if you spend your time in the British Museum uh, writing a book like Marx you never get rid of those antagonisms they become the only important thing but but ordinary life will do a lot but having said that of course I would like those people to be argued with, and the problem is they don't get enough comeback, pushback yes. from the rest of us. Including, so including the Conservative Party. So can I just say one thing, sure, just sure. on this point, because then I'm happy to drop it. I'm not saying for one moment that we should yeah. revoke citizenship for people who express views I don't like, particularly if yeah. they're born in this country. What I'm quibbling is, I, I thought it was interesting that one of the criteria you would set out for the, for the yeah. oath of coming yeah. here, yeah. and it's a conditional oath, if you, yeah. if you break yeah. the oath, you, yeah. you lied, yeah. you can leave. Yeah. You said that if, you, if you're going to stir up anti-Semitism in this country, you're not allowed to stay here. I would be in favor of adding 
and if you're going to stir up hatred against the native population of this country as well. I would also be right. in favour of that. And so I'm, I'm not saying... Yes, I, well, I, I think that's fair. So yeah, if yeah. you're a new immigrant and you've just come here and you're making speeches of the sort that Humza Yusuf did make, and if, you're, and if you're sort of putting revenge pornography of a weird poetic kind on, on the London underground saying, your home was built on our blood, our sacrifice, we're colonising you in reverse, all that sort of thing, which is, and it says at the bottom, authorised by the Mayor of London. If you're engaging, <laughs> in, if, if you're engaging in that sort of language, I think that should also be a, 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 a condition that, that, that it belongs in that oath. Yes. Hmm. Is the point. Well, I mean, for example, I read the poem you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't um, bother. But of course, the, uh, the default position of most people who write and talk about these things is strong hostility to uh, British Empire and British imperialism. Now, there has always been, by the way, an anti-imperialist movement in English society. Mm -hmm. Herbert Spencer, the great uh, 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 liberal sage, um, he, he, he was very clear that he was um, hostile to the expansion of the empire because he thought it, it was, um, uh, he thought it was race, racist and uh, and, um, and, 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 and unjust mm -hmm. now. Uh, so we can argue about a lot of things. There's no doubt, however, that the picture of the empire um, uh, given by m uh, many people who uh, are fighting to prevent anyone hearing any other point of view about this is false mm -hmm. uh, and, and um, is, is demeaning to this country. I don't think we can, st if we believe in free speech, we cannot stop people saying stupid and wicked things. Um, in the case of anti-Semitism, and I would apply this to, um, uh, to other forms of, racial, uh, of racism, um, if somebody comes here uh, and says, proclaims, I am in, uh, I, I, my job here is to ensure that the white people of this country uh, you know, cease to be a, a power in the land, etc., whatever, um, then I, I think that if you could, if you, if the, uh, oath of citizenship says, you know, you have to be loyal to the crown, um, uh, loyal to the institutions of the country, etc., etc. I think that probably is counter to that. It, it, you, you lied, therefore. Um, we don't want you. But, uh, but I don't, I'm not, I'm not expecting any kind of a mass crusade until, and I'm not even expecting it then, but I, but I do think what has just happened is one of the most uh, in in the the demonstrations of support for what we saw we know to be um, an absolutely cruel, sadistic, and vicious um, uh, in a, a slaughter of the innocents. Mm. And you know, I saw the other day that apparently a member of the BBC staff was criticising the BBC because one of the uh, one of their they had quoted. Um, without, without criticism, uh, an Israeli uh, officer's remark that these people were animals and they thought this was demeaning. Well, actually, they're not animals. Animals don't do those kind of things. Mm, yeah. Animals do not engage in sadistic, cruel, they're not in the moral world. Mm. And, um, and, and, and most, most um, bad people don't think of those things either. This was something quite sensible. The, oh, I mean, you may not believe super, um, uh, in religious terms, you, know, you may not believe in demons, but what they did were demonic acts. Hmm. I mean, they turned themselves into demons and, and, they, and many of them will be stuck in that for the rest of their lives to justify what they did yeah. and others will be haunted 
by by the by by the terrors that they can never fully acknowledge either, and we do nobody any service by treating them other than as demonic in this sense. And so I think um, the um, when, when those kind of things occur, we have to look at ourselves and say, how can how can we accept, how can we live with people who apparently like this and cheer it? Mm. Now, that's a question, not an answer, mm. because we are going to be living with them. So we have to have a really serious conversation. I know oh, politicians always say let's we need a, to have a serious have a conversation. A that's, a that's basically just to get them around the next corner. <laughs> but, but that is true because our universities and our schools at present, presently preach arguments and ideas and a false view of history that justify this kind of thing. And I would say one of the first things to happen is the British government has got to have a, has got to commission historians to present an accurate account of the, um, uh, the, well, the period uh, of conflict between the Arabs and the uh, and Israelis from 48. Okay. And that has got to make plain that uh, there's no doubt that there are probably there are elements of uh, error and fantasy in the uh, in the Israel side as well, and, and and more important because they're not many of those, but there are, for example, um, uh, they were too complacently happy about the speed of their own victory in the Six Day War, and and they they have to think of how they are going to cope long-term with the vulnerability of Israel because it, a small country, however able, however technically advanced, it is vulnerable. Mm. And, and I think, for example, one of the th reasons you get the hostility among the students and these young people who turn up in these viciously nasty demonstrations, they think Israel's vulner invulnerable too. They think it's invulnerable. And that means that for them, a lot of them, this is play acting. They don't really think it's going to happen. But unfortunately, having fantasized about what they would do if they were in a position to destroy Israel and the Israelis, when it happens, they are locked in to an attitude of approval. And mm. how we shape, deal with that, I don't know. But I do know it's absolutely key because I do not, I don't think anybody wants to live in a country in which large numbers of its people fantasize about murdering uh, horribly innocent people who have never done them any harm and whose crimes in the view of the, the potential murderers are completely fictitious or so largely exaggerated as to be fictitious. I certainly don't. Um, but I, I want to touch on this topic of moving past just like endless dialogues mm. and conversations. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was reading Christopher Rufo's report yeah. after yeah. his time in Hungary, he mentioned that Viktor Orban, and you've lived in Hungary now for almost yeah, 10 years, ten right? Years. Yes. Viktor right. Orban was leader, he got ousted, he's now back. And it was that time that he was ousted that he realized that there needs to be institutions like the Danube Institute, like the MCC, like others that exist no matter who's in charge. Mm. And I think this was a, it, it's a very powerful lesson that the Tories, if they were relatively sharp and actually conservative, um, <laughs> w would be wise to, wise to take heed of. Yeah. What do you think that there are things that either the Tory party or like a new up and coming mm. British party could learn from, from Hungary and can learn from this sense of institution building that's been going on there the past decade? Well, you're quite right that the, um, he, well, I think he particularly thought when he, 
when he left after his defeat to commune uh, with God in the mountains, yeah. he, he, I think, identified two things in particular. That uh, if the uh, media is solely in the hands of the other side, uh, and if the, uh, you, 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 um, you're tying lead weights to your legs in, mm. a, in a, a competitive race. And the same is true if, um, if the bureaucracy is under the control of, of your enemies. This, these two things have been true in Britain for some time, and they're true in, in America and most Western democracies as well. Um, so a government, a conservative government which gets in has completely justified, it seems to me, in creating and funding uh, institutions um, which will defend the, what was the general view of Britain until about when? Until about 95, 2000. I mean, the, 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 the British had a fair, um, a fairly <laughs> strong um, self-approval rating. They thought they were a, f a fine country. Other countries felt so as well. When I was, um, when the scandal of the expenses came out, and a lot of, and, and our self-regard has been undermined in a lot of ways, mm. and some of them deservedly so, uh, like the expenses scandal. But when that um, came out, um, the, uh, I was approached in the canteen at Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, when I was at that time executive editor, by, by very tearful, not tearful exactly, but sober, somber um, colleagues from Central Asia, uh, from Russia, from the Balkans and so on. And, and so we're, we were so di distressed to see this news, it must, you must feel terrible about it, John. Well, I mean, I wasn't happy with it, but I, I was very kind of moved and impressed by the fact that their opinion of this country was so high that they wanted to console me mm. for, the, for the story. Mm. And, and um, you'll find that's true in a lot of countries all around the world. You would never believe that if you listened to the domestic critics of this country who talk in the most contemptuous terms. And indeed, you, that's not simply true here, but there was, this, um, there was um, a Swedish prime minister who said that Sweden had no culture. I mean, yes. what on earth mm. did he think he was saying? And, uh, <laughs> and, 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 um, Trudeau said the same in Canada, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. So, so there are others that have done this. So we have to restore our own good opinion of ourselves um, and we have to do so. Um, and uh, by the way, um, I don't think that the, I should probably stop at this point, right? just to say that um, let's, uh, let's investigate seriously and in depth what our fellow uh, citizens of recent uh, immigrant extraction think about the country and themselves. I think if we know that in depth, We'll, we'll know a lot which will be useful in moving towards a better understanding. But I mean, I, 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 I don't want to sound too, um, too optimistic or too uh, demanding, but I think that um, following this weekend, uh, following the events of October the, the 7th and the reactions in this country and elsewhere, uh, I, I think the most important thing we have to do, in a way, is reform ourselves mm. and our children. And we have to spend money on it. Um, we don't have much 
uh, as we, as we use, but we have to spend money, we have to spend determination, we have to spend the law on these things. We cannot simply allow, um, uh, by the law I mean uh, the government has got to actually say um, the British Museum will not get a cent unless it abandons this absurd decolonization. Mm. The word decolonization is now a word that is associated rightly with anti-Semitism, with murder, with rapine, with, um, with, with rape. Uh, yeah. it, and, and therefore, we, we should feel complete self-confidence in saying, we're not having any of this decolonization. There never was a colonization of the universities anyway. They are themselves the product of the country in which they're based. And we, and we therefore demand we want them back, which means we don't want uh, a, a, a semi-Marxist uh, set of administrators to determine who will teach our young people. And, and that's what has happened over a generation or two. Well, I would argue that the universities do need to be decolonized because they've been colonized themselves by activists instead yeah, of academics. Sure. We, need to, we need to actually reverse this process that's gone on. Yes, uh, yes, I, I agree with you, of course, what, what the, the point at which you're saying. Whether or not I'd use the word... Turning it around on them. No, no, Recolonize, maybe. Actually, on this, on this topic of decolonization, I thought it was fascinating that there were so many very smart people who yeah. I saw on Twitter and in yeah. op-eds over the past couple of weeks saying things like, if you had told me that all this stuff was going to lead to, you know, like mm -hmm. uh, pro-Palestinian or anti-Israeli, however you want to frame it, chants in the hallways, yeah, yeah. or like, if you just saw the video coming out of America, yeah. like literally protesters yeah. like banging on the doors trying yeah. to get to yeah. Jews in the library, I would never have believed you. And I was like, I'm just looking at this like, why? That was the stated goal from the start. As yeah. one person, one lefty academic put on Twitter, yeah. what do you think it meant? papers and essays and uh, op-eds and podcasts like no this is what it means it means to reverse it means pogroms yeah it means pogroms it means rapes it means murders it means revolutions and revolutions very rarely benefit ordinary people they benefit the nastiest type of, of person who's in who weds kind of foolish political idea um with the willingness to murder yeah mm. and i would actually invite any sort of uh, high intellectualized lefty academic to look into the Khmer Rouge or the Soviet pogroms to see how well that tends to work out for you after the initial wave has already gone down. You tend to be in the second volley. Um, now you should be nervous about that because the more they learn about it, it seems to me at the moment, the more they're likely to want to do it here. <laughs> no, I'm not just joking. Regardless of their own threats. That's right. Yeah. They threaten these things. Why do you think it is that these, even people who are uh, nominally on the right are kind of like heterodox leftists, centrists, libertarians, all these kind of ilk yeah. who are not woke or whatever you want to call it, are like seem to be fundamentally unable to recognize that that was sort of the inevitable conclusion? There are a few. I mean, like yeah. Douglas Murray came out and said, like, basically, yeah. This is what I've been saying for 10 years. Like, yeah. What do you think it meant? Yeah, but there, sure. there's a lot of people that are, are, are just as sharp, as just as clever, just as tuned in, who seem to have like a, a gap, which is like, oh, I thought we were just going to debate this out in the marketplace of ideas, and we'd all just kind of agree or disagree. It's like, no, the marketplace of ideas yes. spills into the streets, and it spills out into other countries, too. Who was the man, who was the Frenchman who wrote Neither Marx Nor Jesus? Uh, he also wrote a book called The Totalitarian Temptation. Um, his name escapes me, but um, we're talking about a generation ago. Hmm. Um, but he did say something very interesting. He said, 
the, the, it can sometimes be admitted that the left has been wrong, but it can never be admitted that the right has been right. <laughs> and this is a profound um, bigotry within the intelligentsia and within the intellectual community. And of course, there are conservatives in it. You mentioned Douglas, um, but we could name a lot number of academics, and certainly in the last, uh, in the seventies and eighties. Um, they, uh, they were a significant factor in the, um, in the rise and then the success of Thatcherism and the end of the Cold War. Um, in fact, the New Left Review had an article by Stuart Hall, I think, entitling that period as the Great Moving Right, giving the title the Great Moving Right Show hmm. um, to what was happening in British politics because um, Paul Johnson, um, uh, and any number of other people um, suddenly shifted to, to um, essentially attacking the Labour Party as, as, as fundamentally illiberal in its heart uh, at a time when it was true, but it wasn't as true as it is today. And so I'm, and, and there is now a battle going on in Labour, obviously, between people who are what we may disagree with, but who are obviously decent, well-motivated, uh, people who want a better country, and um, uh, they uh, are now fighting to prevent the Labour Party um, taking the side of uh, barbarism against civilization. I hope they succeed, but on the other hand, I'd rather not elect a party to power until I'm absolutely certain that they have succeeded beyond any hope of uh, a situation returning. I think you're seeing that schism too um, between kind of liberal and illiberalism in the right as well. And I, I was speaking to a, a person at the, the art conference, which is just about to go on here, um, who was talking about kind of the generational divide of the people putting it on and helping to organize it. Yeah. And he said that basically nobody under 30 remained a liberal. Like it's, it's just mm -hmm. kind of gone. What, whatever the, the, the new right is, whatever the mm -hmm. next generation of uh, conservatives or right-wingers are, yeah. they've almost completely abandoned liberalism. But I mean, we may have a dispute here, but I mean, uh, um, when he made his famous speech uh, advocating illiberal democracy. You mean, uh, you mean Orban? Uh, Orban. Mm, yeah. he, um, he was careful to say, of course, we support the traditional objectives of liberalism, which is to say um, free speech, free association, mm. uh, free inquiry, and, and uh, in, in, in um, uh, political life, uh, democratic elections and so on. Now, um, uh, th that's got forgotten uh, mm -hmm. and so on. And, and I, my own view is that he wasn't um, advocating illiberal democracy, um, unless you define that as democracies which occasionally elect people who aren't liberal, <laughs> um, which is one of his definitions. But, yes. um, yeah. but he was uh, actually objecting to the undemocratic imposition of liberal policies. Mm -hmm. And he was right to do that. Yeah. Uh, but of course, the phrase has been hung around his neck. And um, whether or not um, it can be saved for him by Harrison and the European Conservative, <laughs> I don't know. But um, nonetheless, we don't, none of us, I think, around the table or people watching, that none, of, none of us want to give up on free speech, free inquiry. I mean, one of the most, um, Colin Brogan, an early, um, uh, an early conservative uh, uh, Catholic uh, columnist in Britain in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. He was once um, asked, what, uh, uh, during the war, why should, um, uh, why should any poor person, anybody in the working class actually, vote for this country? What does it offer him? And he said, 
Well, I could give you a hundred answers, he said, but I'll give you one. This is a country in which a man can call his soul his own. And frankly, you know, I've lived in that country all my life. I am, I cannot imagine uh, continuing, I cannot imagine it becoming a country in which people are told you can't say that. Mm. Now we know it's happening, mm. but it hasn't taken root yet. Mm. And so we absolutely have to fight that. So we're all, I think, liberals in that sense. Yes, we are. But the point would be this, so, and I agree with you, and it's a very, very moving way of putting it. Um, but the, the point is that that freedom to call your soul your own, yeah. the freedom of speech, or, or all of the, yeah. the, the good aspects yeah. of liberalism that people would want to defend yeah. instinctively, those do not exist in a vacuum. Like, they, they, like there, yeah. there is all sorts of, uh, I, I would say that there yeah. are cultural foundations for that, there are social foundations yeah. for that. I would even go so, so far as to say that there are demographic foundations for that. Because I, for example, I think it's very difficult to maintain a culture in which free speech is valued yeah. if you've got such a like, disorientating mix of different re uh, religious, tribal, yeah. and ethnic yeah. communities that the, 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 all of a sudden free speech seems like a threatening thing rather, yeah. than, rather, rather than a collaborative yeah. thing. If you say that, we're going to have a riot. Exactly, yeah. all that sort of thing. And like, you, you, we see that now where yeah. in, in, in yeah. very multicultural right. communities, Labour MPs can't criticise grooming gangs, yeah. for example. They cannot exercise that right to free speech because they fear a backlash of sorts. Yeah. Right. So in many ways, I would say that free speech and a lot of other, these, a lot of other values that we regard as good liberal values they, 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 they don't thrive on their own merit. And I think that's very difficult for liberals yeah. to understand. Yeah. I, think, well, I think that's the answer to your question. They're self-evidently valuable to us, but I mean, you know, the Americans spent how many trillions of dollars in Afghanistan trying to import <laughs> these values into there, and yes, it didn't, exactly. didn't really work out so well. Exactly, but I think the liberal is... Yeah, well, I, well absolutely, you're right. That in Afghanistan, the social circumstances that allow that kind of attitude to flourish simply weren't there. Yeah. Um, 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 there probably was free speech within a very limited range of, um, of religious disputes, but the problem is even there, um, you know, the, the disputes within religions. Uh, yeah. and it's constantly bloody. on a knife yeah. search, yeah. and so yeah. this is the thing, and this is how I would answer your question. I, I would, I think that the, the, the point is, is that the reason why liberals are reticent to concede these, this ground to the, conserv yeah. to the conservatives, so to speak, is because it, it would mean that liberalism isn't as inherently and intellectually solid as they like to think that it is. It, it cannot stand on its own two feet. They, 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 yeah. they, 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 they're sort of possessed of a, of a radical, um, a stubborn independence yeah. of mind which they don't want to shake. Um, I heard a woman lawyer recently, actually we, she was um, invited to, to uh, speak at the Danube Institute, and um, she's from London, her name has just escaped me, I'm ashamed to say, uh, it was a very fine talk in which she pointed out that in the past we, we had a common law um, atmosphere of life in which you could say anything unless it was something which then uh, caused a problem in effect. And, uh, and they, so the attitude was, I'm, I, can, I can say, I can say that, I can do, now, and, and do things. Now, that's been replaced under various legislation, but I think possibly the equalities legislation, I'm not sure, by a, a very complicated test of what it is acceptable to say in a democratic society. I think five different um, layers of, of test. Mm. And the, it all comes down to, well, um, you can say, uh, you can say that uh, because it's not something that a Nazi would say, you know, in effect. And, and the, the, that, that is 
completely, it should be completely unacceptable mm. to us. Because frankly, until the Nazi opens his mouth, then he's entitled, I mean, even when, yes, he, he's entitled to say things. Now, is he entitled to advocate, uh, let's go out and uh, hang that person uh, or burn that house down? No, he's not. He's, he's inciting to murder, he's inciting to cause damage and so on. Um, but generally speaking, we have wanted to live in a society in which the maximum um, of, uh, in which, the, in which you, you were entitled to say anything, um, which did not reveal military secrets to the enemy, mm -hmm. which did not um, uh, uh, take away, uh, does not diminish you in the eyes of fellow citizens, um, which does not, is not going to um, cause someone to cause an affray. Uh, now, they're, they're the kind of tests, and they're, they're tests not of the truth of what you're saying, it's assumed uh, that truth, you may be not speaking truthfully, but we won't know until, until you, you speak. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Until others yeah. I have and the right to respond. Can, that's right. So, yeah. uh, but, you, but in other words, it's the impact. Now, I think that's perfectly reasonable myself. And I think we have to get back there. But of course, we can't get back there in current circumstances because, I mean, among other things, I don't want the situation in which you can uh, you can have statements which are pure statements in a way, but which in a particular circumstances are a demand to murder somebody. Mm -hmm. to, to, and, and I think we've we've just seen that something like that has happened. And the interesting thing is um, that um, the police did not see it in their interest mm. or. In, within the powers they have to stop it. And they've gone out of their way to avoid doing so. I think that can only end in the police being regarded with contempt, not only by the people whom they fail to correct in that regard, but also by everybody else, mm. because they, the rest of us will feel we now have to look after ourselves. Indeed, yes. We're not gonna be protected by them. John O'Sullivan, thank you so much for joining us on the program. Evan, thank you as ever. You've been watching Deprogrammed. Make sure to like, subscribe, leave a comment if you wish, and we shall see you on the next one. Hello. If you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission, may I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever, and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as £3 per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you.